I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 18, is where we will pick up. It's where we left off last week. And remind you each week, if uh, you come in, I want to encourage you to bring your copy of God's Word with you. Whether that is digital or a physical copy, if you don't own a copy... I want to encourage you to grab one that's on the back of a seat in front of you, and you can take that home as our gift to you. If you do have a digital copy, I had uh, one of our parents of our teenagers let me know a few weeks ago as they were reading through uh, the text that they had actually jumped off and were working on some Spanish homework. And uh, so I want you to know, dial in. And uh, we want to make sure that uh, we are locked into God's Word this morning as we walk through it together. And as we prepare to do that, I have a question for you. Do you have any regrets in your life? You laugh because there are things that immediately just popped up in your mind, moments in your life where you think and you look and you go, man, if I could do that over again, I would love a second chance. One of those moments for my life I've shared with you before, you may not have heard it though, and I want you to have the joy of knowing that your pastor is not perfect, okay? When I was a teenager, my senior year in high school, I was playing basketball and was not very good. Let me just dispel any notions there. Uh, Not very good, but uh, for my dad and for me, sports was our thing. So I played baseball, basketball, football through high school, and my dad was always there encouraging and, dare I say, pushing me to be better. And so it did not matter what sport it was. My dad was always on the sideline, and my dad was always yelling at me. Just put it out there, right? Always encouraging me, right? And so he would let me know if I wasn't doing something the way that it was supposed to be done. And just to let you know, he knew the best way to do everything. So it did not matter for me in this moment. He would say, you know, son, you need to, Michael, you need to do this or whatever. So I'm dribbling the basketball down the middle of the court and I hear my dad yelling something that I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing. And in that moment, I'd kind of reached the peak. I'd had enough. And so I turn my head towards the stands and I can see kind of where he is. And as soon as I open my mouth, the gym that was previously loud went silent. And I yelled, would you just shut up? And as soon as it left my lips, I thought, that was dumb. (laughs) And then as I continued down the court a little bit, it hit me. I rode with him to the game. (laughs) It was one of those moments in my life that I wish that I could have pulled those words back. And even today, I talk to my dad occasionally, and I'll say, hey, dad, um, you remember that time? And he said, how could I forget, son? And I shared with him, that's one of the biggest regrets of my life. One of the moments of my life, I look and I go, gosh, if I could just take that back, I would do it in a heartbeat. You know, all of us have those moments in our lives, those moments where we would, if we could, take back what we said or what we did. 
And what I want us to recognize this morning is we're going to see that take place in Noah's life. A moment in Noah's life where I would dare say he would love if he could to have taken back. A moment where he, if he could have chosen to do something differently, would have done that. A moment of sin in Noah's life that had ultimate consequences for him and even for his children. You know, it's one thing when we look at someone like Noah, if you remember over the last number of weeks, we have pretty much sang Noah's praises. The scriptures have. The scriptures have highlighted how Noah was a righteous man, how God's favor was on Noah because of his righteousness, that he had trusted in the Lord and he had walked in obedience to God when God said that I'm going to send a flood to destroy everything on the earth. Noah walked in obedience to the Lord, built an ark, entered into the ark with the animals and his family and was saved. And we talked about the reality that that is a picture of Jesus Christ, our Savior. But we come to the text this morning and we see Noah in a moment of sin. We see his son in a moment of sin. We see two of his sons walk in righteousness before the Lord and before their father. And then we're going to see as we put it all together the grand picture of what God is doing. And so this morning, Genesis chapter 9, I want to encourage you and let you know I'm just going to read verses 18 through verse 29, though I want you to know chapter 10 is in view in the latter part of the message this morning. However, some of these names Pastor Scott can't pronounce. And I want uh, you to know that we're not going to walk through those, but there is gold that can be mined in chapter 10. And we're going to touch on that briefly this morning as we close out the message. But let's look beginning in Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk, and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. And he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. 
And you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As we get ready to dive into these verses this morning, I want you to write down this main idea. It'll frame our time together. And, and I think it's a great reminder for us as we consider the story before us today. Who you are when no one is looking is who you are. Who you are when no one is looking is who you are. I want you to notice that this is an odd passage of Scripture. I had someone this morning leave after the first service and they said, Pastor, that was weird. And it is. I mean, there is a lot that's going on here. And so what I want us to do as we navigate through these verses this morning is I want us to zone in, as the text does, on Noah and his sons initially. I want us to look at this situation because I believe it's instructive for us. I don't believe it's by accident here in the text this morning. I think it's meant to cause us to ask some serious and some hard questions of our own lives. Even if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, to ask questions of yourself and your life and your walk with the Lord. But then at the end, what I want us to do is zoom out for a bit and to look at the last part of these verses this morning and into chapter 10 and begin to piece together to understand what God's doing in these verses. So as we dive in this morning, I want you to know where we are in the text. In verse 18, it says that the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were these three, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, I want you to be reminded of what's happening at this point in time, that over the last three weeks or so, we've looked at Noah's life. We were reminded early on that Noah was a righteous man. When God looked at Noah, God said, this man is a righteous man. And in fact, God spoke to Noah and said to Noah, I want you to walk in obedience to me. I'm going to send judgment on the earth through the flood. And if you want to survive that, you will do so only through this one means, and that is an ark that you're going to build. God had given him the measurements of the ark, said to Noah, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. And we were reminded as we walked through those verses that there is only one way that you and I can be saved from our sin, and that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our ark. He's our only means of salvation, the only way that we can be forgiven of our sins and brought into a relationship with our Creator. And we looked and we were reminded that for Noah, he chose to walk in obedience to the Lord. And in fact, the floodwaters came, Noah and his family and the animals are in the ark, and the ark provides salvation for them through the hand of the Lord. And they survived there in the ark. Everything else on the earth was wiped out. And then the ark comes to rest on the mountains. The waters begin to recede. And it's that point that Noah and his sons and the animals leave the ark as the Lord has opened the door for them to walk out. And at that moment in time, the Lord reaffirms the blessing and reaffirms the responsibility that he's given to Noah and to his sons and to their families. He wants them to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it. What he had given to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, he reiterated last week in the first part of chapter 9 to Noah and to his sons. 
and to their families, saying to them, this is what I want you to do. Fill the earth with worshipers of me. I want you to enjoy all that I have given you, and I want you to worship me with your lives. Now, at this point in time, what we see is that that's what they begin to do. So these three were the sons of Noah, and from these people, verse 19 says, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Verse 20, I want you to notice, beginning in verse 20 through verse 22, we see things take a pretty dark turn. We see Noah's sin, and then we see the sin of one of his sons. And I want you to notice the cycle of sin that's at place here in verses 20 through 22. Notice verse 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. Now, up until this point, everything's great. Noah's doing exactly what God has called him to do, to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the earth, to plant and to harvest, to do exactly what God had intended. But in verse 21, it says, he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Now we look at verse 21, he drank of the wine, and where things turn is he became drunk. Now, you reading through the scriptures cannot come to any other conclusion that drunkenness is sin. Just want to put that out there in case you're wondering, the only thing that for us as followers of Jesus that we're to be drunk on is the Holy Spirit. That's what the scripture says. But at this point in time, Noah drinks to the point of drunkenness. And not only that, says he lay uncovered in his tent. This drunkenness lead to Noah stripping down, evidently, and was completely naked. You look and you go, that's just a little too much. I didn't need to know that. I'm just telling you what's going on in the text. But I want you to recognize and understand that we're talking about here a man who the scripture says was a righteous man. And even, I want you to hear me this as well, even later in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, Noah is lifted up as a man after God's own heart. And what you realize as you work through the scriptures, you recognize that just because we are walking with the Lord, just because we have been saved from our sins does not mean that we don't struggle with sin. In fact, if you look at some of the greatest people that God's used throughout history and scripture and throughout church history, you recognize that they were not perfect people. Noah here, you know, it's interesting. We have one recorded sin of Noah in the scripture, and it's right there. Now, we know he probably sinned other times than this, but this is the one. And if, if I'm Noah in heaven, I'm going, Lord, did, did that really need to get in there? Like that one? I mean, you could have picked another one, right? But what I want us to recognize and to understand is that every single one of us, even as followers of Jesus, still must be on guard against sin. We must be on guard against sin in our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, you are not exempt from struggling with sin, from 
having to do battle against sin in your life in the same way that Noah here succumbs to sin. For you and for me as followers of Jesus, we must take sin seriously in our lives. Now here, I know, we live in a church culture today that's primarily about, we just want you to come in and to feel good. But church, if we don't talk about sin, there's no need for Jesus. Why do we need Jesus? Because of sin that's in our lives. And Noah in this moment, even Noah, a man who is described as being righteous, as being a man after God's own heart, Noah struggled with sin. Noah became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Never be so bold to say, that can't happen to me. Never be so bold to say that sin couldn't be present in my life. Noah in this moment falls into sin by the choices that he makes. And I want you to recognize this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, that for you and for me, we have to be on guard. In fact, if you remember back in Genesis chapter 4, When Cain and Abel, that situation is discussed. Cain murders his brother Abel. The Lord says to Cain, sin is like a crouching tiger at the door waiting to overtake you. But you must master over it. What is that sin in your life? What is that sin that you walked in today and the Lord, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. You know it's not right. But in this moment, you have failed to ask God's forgiveness and to lay that on the altar and receive the forgiveness that Jesus Christ provides to you this morning. What is that sin in your life? What is that sin that easily besets you? That sin that is something you know but nobody else knows? Who you are when no one's looking is who God sees every moment. What is that sin pattern that's in your life? Is it anger that manifests itself in your relationships with your kids? Is it the sin of cynicism? I want you to know that cynicism is not a spiritual gift. You say, I'm not cynical, I'm just realistic. No, you're probably cynical. Is it sexual immorality? Is it drunkenness is what's described here in the text? What is that sin in your life? And if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, what is the moment in your life of conviction that the Lord is bringing right now? You say, Pastor, I don't really want to talk about it. God's forgiveness is available. Noah drank of the wine. He became drunk. He lay uncovered in his tent. I want you to notice that Noah's sin sets the stage for his son's sin in verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, that's going to 
being very important as we continue to move through the text this morning. But Ham saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now, we don't know exactly what all is transpiring in verse 22. What we do know is that at this point in time, Ham has sinned against his father. I, I have a sense of believing that it was about honoring his father. He chose in this moment not to honor his father in the way that he should have, in the way that his two brothers do in verse 23. But in this moment, Ham sins against his father. Now, we look at this, and here's what you and I both know this morning. What we know is that we live in a culture right now that has desensitized us to what's going on in the text. We just look at that and we go, I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, it's awkward, it's weird, but you know, what I want you to understand is that God takes sin seriously. And for us in this moment, what we have to recognize and understand is if we're not careful in a culture, Romans chapter 1 tells us that is heading along right into sin we will grow desensitized as followers of Jesus to the sin that is present in this world around us. We'll think it's really not that big of a deal. The TV shows that we watch, we won't look at and recognize in this moment as a big deal. I turned 39 at the end of this month. And I remember what was on TV when I was eight years old versus what's on TV now. And if you're older than me, you remember it even more so. Where you look at the language that's being used. You look at the sexually explicit things that are coming through in TV shows now. You look at the celebration at this point in time of things that God says are sin. And if we're not careful, church, we will grow so desensitized to it that we won't recognize and understand how those things are shaping the way we think and the way we believe. And at this point in time, Ham has entered into his father's tent and he saw the nakedness of his father and in some way, he comes out in less than an honoring way and talks with his two brothers who are outside. The cycle of sin. I want you to notice, though, his two brothers in verse 23. I want you to notice the commitment to righteousness. Verse 23, Then Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards. They did not see their father's nakedness. So get this picture in your mind that they grab some type of garment between themselves and the tents behind them and they lock arms together and they hold this garment and they begin to walk backwards into their father's tent and set the garment on him so to cover his nakedness in this moment. I want you to notice the care and the concern that they have to do what's right. Church family, you do not drift towards righteousness. You and I do not drift towards righteousness. It takes intentionality to walk in obedience to the Lord. 
So then when we look at the text this morning, what we see is that on display for Sham and for Japheth. The care and the concern they had to honor their father and to do the right thing. Teenagers, hear me this morning. The easiest thing for you to do oftentimes in your mind is not the right thing. It takes effort, it takes work, it takes intentionality to do the right thing. But if you're going to follow Jesus, that is the call on your life. I know that we live in a world right now that is often hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ, often hostile to the things that God's word lifts up and says, this is the right way. Romans chapter one, Paul reminds us that that's exactly the culture in which we live, a culture that the Lord has simply turned over to itself and said, if you want to pursue all manner of ungodliness, good luck with that. But for us as followers of Jesus, our calling is to walk in righteousness before the Lord. And you don't just do that haphazardly. It takes effort and intentionality on our part to walk in righteousness with the Lord. So then, if we're followers of Jesus gathered here this morning and there is sin that is present in our life, what are the steps that God desires for us to take to walk in righteousness before Him regarding that specific area? What are the steps that you and I need to take to make sure that we are pursuing righteousness instead of allowing the world around us to form us to its mold? When we look, what we realize is that God's word lays out for us exactly all that we need, the scripture says, for life and godliness. Where do we find the steps that we need to take? Where do we find the truth that we need to saturate our minds with? I can promise you it is not on social media. It's just not there. And it's not on the television shows that you and I watch. Where is it? It's in this and for you and for me as followers of Jesus, we need to saturate our minds with the truth of God's word so that that is what is shaping and molding and forming us. It's shaping how we believe. It's shaping the things that we do. It's shaping the things that we say. God's word serves as the foundation for life and for godliness. What we realize is for Shem and for Japheth in this moment, they chose to walk in righteousness. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, it is a choice you and I make every single day to follow Jesus with our lives or choose to go a different way. And the Holy Spirit of God convicts us because of the sin that is in our lives. What separates us from God, what hinders our relationship with Him. If you're earlier in this message sitting back going, that's exactly what's going on in my life. That's what the Lord is pointing out in my heart right now. What step do you need to take? Maybe it's a step this morning of confession, of being honest before the Lord and with someone else today. Too many times, we allow sin to remain in our lives as followers of Jesus, not taking it seriously. 
when God gives us a moment like right now to take it serious. Shem and Japheth took the step of walking in righteousness, of covering their father. I want you to notice, though, as we zoom out at this point, beginning in verse 24 and moving down through the end of the text this morning, what we're going to see is that the actions at this point of Ham lay something on Noah's heart. And the Lord is about to speak through Noah regarding his sons and the future generations that will come from them. So what I want you to do is not look at what Noah's going to say here as if like this is some type of curse or some type of hex that he's placing on him as his son and then on the rest. I, I don't want you to think about it in that sense. What I want you to recognize in this moment is the Lord is speaking prophetically through Noah about his sons and the generations that will come. What you and I recognize and understand is that for us, this is going to set the stage for everything else that's going to come in Scripture. This is going to set the stage for what comes in chapter 10 and ultimately Abram and then moving beyond that to the children of Israel and beyond that to ultimately Jesus Christ coming to this earth. What we're going to see is that we see, beginning in verse 24, the curse of sin. Noah's going to describe that for us. Verse 24, when Noah woke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him. He said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. It's interesting here that very early on in verse 18, if you notice there, Ham was the father of Canaan. If you notice in verse 22, Ham was the father of Canaan. When this curse comes, when this prophetic word about what's going to come from Ham's descendants, he says here, cursed be Canaan. If you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, what you realize and understand is that this is going to describe what's going to take place moving forward in the Old Testament that the Canaanites were the very ones that oftentimes came against God's people and were hostile to the Lord. They were the ones who were described in Scripture as being pagans, as being worshipers not of the Lord but of false gods, of pursuing sexual immorality, of doing all kind of manner of evil. That's who Canaan, the descendants, are. And on the back end of Ham's sin here, Noah says, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. It was interesting in this moment because what we see going on in the text is that Ham's sin against his father earlier is symptomatic of what is going to be experienced for his generations to come. But hear me this morning. They didn't have to stay there. They didn't have to stay pursuing sin. And yet what we see take place both here and moving forward is that's exactly what they do. Well, then what's the alternative? What breaks the curse of sin? What we see breaks the curse of sin is Jesus Christ. 
He is the only way that our sins can be forgiven, that we can be brought in to the family of God. And so notice beginning in verse 26, he also said, so we've got cursed be Canaan and those descendants, but he also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Notice the difference here. Do you notice what's different? Verse 27, may God enlarge Japheth. The difference between what's going on with Canaan and his descendants and Shem and Japheth and their descendants is their relationship with the Lord. It's the difference. The God of Shem let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. We see this picture of what is to come as we continue to walk our way through Genesis. As we look throughout the Old Testament scriptures, what we realize is that Shem is going to be the descendant who would ultimately find Jesus coming from his lineage. And what we're going to see is this begin to play out throughout Scripture. God's plan begin to unfold. God's grace and mercy to be seen and ultimately leading in one direction and that is to the cross of Jesus Christ where ultimately the sin curse is broken because of Jesus' sacrifice there on the cross. What is the hope for sin in our lives? It is Jesus Christ crucified raised from the dead. You may have come in this morning and for you, you've never taken the step of receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. And this morning for you, you sit as we've described here under the curse of Canaan, under the curse of sin in your life. But I want you to hear the good news this morning. There is one who can forgive you of your sin. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God who came to this earth, who lived a perfect, sinless life. What you and I could not do, He did. And He took your sin and my sin upon Himself. He paid the debt of sin that we should have paid. On the cross, His blood was shed so that our sins could be forgiven. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave on the third day so that we could experience salvation through Him. And this morning for you, Maybe that is the step that you need to take. In a room this size with this many people, I have absolutely no doubt there's someone here who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, has never received the gift of salvation through His life and death and resurrection. You can receive that today. You can experience what it means to have your sin forgiven, to no longer be under the curse of sin, but to be part of the family of God to experience the blessing of being a child of God today. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, you've experienced that, but there is sin that is present in your life that you've not confessed and not dealt with. Do not let this moment pass you by. To be honest before the Lord this morning, and to receive the forgiveness that Jesus Christ's death has made possible for you. Every sin in your life was a sin to come when Jesus died on the cross. And your sins have been forgiven. This morning, you have an opportunity to be honest before the Lord, to take the steps of righteousness that we talked about here, 
to walk in obedience to the Lord today. Until you do that, your relationship with the Lord will be hindered. Your fruitfulness in this Christian life will not exist. Do not stay in that position. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes as our worship team makes their way back up. And we have an opportunity to respond to the Lord, to His Word. If you need to take the step of trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, receiving forgiveness of your sin this morning, I want to encourage you in just a little bit to take that step. Right where you sit and stand in just a little bit, you can simply admit before the Lord this morning that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that you believe Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, came to this earth and gave His life so that your sins could be forgiven. And you confess this morning with your mouth that you're receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. God's Word tells us if we take those steps that our sins will be forgiven, we will become a child of God. That's a step that you need to take. I want to encourage you to do that. If you have questions about that, maybe you want to fill out a connection card and just ask to speak with a pastor. Maybe you want to come down front here in just a little bit, grab my hand or Pastor Aaron's hand and say, I need to take that step of trusting in Jesus. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus this morning, but the Lord has brought conviction through this text in your life. There is sin that is hindering your relationship with Him this morning, and you need to deal with that. I want to encourage you in just a little bit whether you kneel right where you are or you come down to this altar and kneel before the Lord, you need to take seriously the sin that is in your life. To confess that, to receive God's forgiveness for that, and then to move forward, turning your back on that sin. Through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, walking in righteousness. Maybe there's some steps that you need to take this morning to move you in a trajectory away from what this world entices you with towards what God's Word says is the only thing that will sustain you and give you hope and peace today. Or you need to walk in righteousness before the Lord. Father, we ask that you would work in our hearts this morning. Use us. Convict us, challenge us, encourage us. Help us to see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that it breaks the curse of sin. We ask that in his name. Amen. Would you stand this morning? Pastors will be down front. You respond as the Lord leads you.